I'm Adam Strauss. And I'm Jordan Iper, MD. And this is not therapy. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty much therapy. It's not therapy, man. All right, we're live. Hello, hey. Jordan. Hey, Adam. How's it going, man? You got, you got, uh, not to, you know, not to drop a heavy status symbol right off the bat, especially after we've been on a hiatus for several months, but, uh, but you just got your, not first, but your second dose of the COVID vaccine. I did. I did. Yeah. I was, uh, my autism hasn't flared up too much yet. <laughs> my arm is feeling less sore. <laughs> you are a socialist now though. That's. You hate freedom. It depends. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't mind the microchips. Yeah, so much. I don't. We all I have don't. to do our part. No, yeah, it feels good. I felt uh, I got the second shot a couple days ago in, in connection with the uh, with my other job besides talking a bunch <laughs> of bullshit on a podcast with you. <laughs> I've got a I've got a side gig. Uh, more more listening sure. to a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I think most of the things you say are are uh, are pretty uh, helpful and astute. Yeah. yeah, well, it's yeah the the CDC just decided that it would be best for the podcast for us to start doing it in person again, so they kind of bumped me up the list, <laughs> right? Um, just because <laughs> it was determined that it was a matter of national public health significance. Yeah. Yeah, uh, for us to continue the work in person. So yeah, I got I jumped the list. I actually got my first shot the same day as Joe Biden. Um so that's about, you know, that's that's, kind of that's where you're at in the in the hierarchy. In of, the hierarchy. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> president elect fake podcast therapist or real pod <laughs> fake ther real therapist, but you know, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, as, as we've discussed, I'm not I'm I'm not currently uh, in private practice doing therapy with anyone else, so I'm. This is uh, this is kind of the only game in town for me right now, uh, in terms of therapy. My other, my main gig. I mean, I'm doing the. I'm. I work on the maps study, which is getting started up, and that's, of course, a phase three clinical trial of MDMA assisted psychotherapy for PTSD. So that's very much real therapy, but my, the main way that I'm. Uh, exerting myself in the labor force these days is working in as, as an attending psychiatrist in a psychiatric emergency room in the Bay Area. And I, you know, there are moments of, uh, of connection, but I'd be lying if I said the bulk of what I was doing was, uh, you know, deep psychotherapeutic intervention. Right, it's more just <laughs> emotional triage, though I guess that's a lot of what we've done on this podcast, too, honestly, in, in past episodes. Oh, man, Clara looked at me a weird way. What should I do? <laughs> the answer, I, I usually just say, ah. Well, no, I, I, I've been in a psychiatric emergency room on, on the other side of the equation twice many years ago, and yeah, not, not, not a low-key place, like pretty pretty full-on intense and also where you're working is more of a um it seems like from what you've told me is is particularly there's a, there's a lot of a lot of people with a lot of issues you know comorbidities drug abuse stuff like that i guess what i'm trying to say is the psychiatric emergency rooms i went into many years ago were you know in fairly 
well-to-do New England locales. Locales. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and that was that was in the pre-methamphetamine era, which I I really right. is that as a as an emergency psychiatrist, I often ask, even on the East Coast where there's still not much methamphetamine, I often wonder, like, what is a psychiatric emergency room in the absence of crystal methamphetamine? Because fully fifty percent of the people I see are in in some way methamphetamine is involved in in the situation either they're acutely wow. high or coming down or um so it seems like it would be a, a much a, a much more tame situation absence absent that substance um but yeah that's something I've, i i would love to talk more about with you in general just kind of obviously your experiences with the acute care Psychi- psychiatric system but and and my experiences and just reflections on that because it's not when we started the when we started the show last spring I was not doing much of that work I was at that point still finishing my residency and I was doing I was an outpatient psychiatrist at that point so I was have, do, having office visits or then zoom zoom visits when the pandemic started and doing mostly psychotherapy and outpatient uh, psychiatric medication management and I've taken a break from that. I'm sure I'll go back to it at some point because um, it's kind of more where my interests lie, unsurprisingly, given the, sort of the the bent of this podcast. But for now, I'm doing this emergency stuff. I think, stuff. though, it probably would be a more interesting podcast with just following Jordan in a psychiatric ER room with people and meth psychosis. Like, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I'll... I, I, it's probably confidentiality concerns. You probably can't just record those people surreptitiously, but... I, I, yeah, that's, <laughs> that's brown to care. I mean, I'm fascinated by that. I mean, just seeing people in just, you know, I- intense uh, <laughs> drug-induced distress. I mean, it seems it's obviously horrific, but also there's a certain morbid fascination with seeing people in those sort of extreme states as, again, someone who has been in extreme states of, of drug-induced distress, not with meth, but with, well, I did have one one ER visit, as you know, again, this was many years ago, uh, which was effectively a, a mushroom overdose. Yeah. And the, yeah. And, and I was a handful for them too, for sure. I forgot about that one. Yeah. It's, so, uh, a mushroom overdose is an interesting concept. Right. I, and as I was saying that, you know, it was, I mean, I took, a huge dose. These are obviously psilocybin containing mushrooms. Um, I took a huge dose. They were far more potent than I thought they were. Uh, yeah, it's the sort of thing where if this had, if this had happened at a festival, say Burning Man, and there was Zendo Project, you know, which maps administers, uh, I don't think there would have been any reason. There was no physical reason. I wasn't, yeah. you know, I wasn't having physical symptoms that required me. But what happened? This will spoil part of the mushroom cure for people who haven't seen it. But I didn't want. To go to the, I called nine one one because basically I was, I was, I had some, as I say in the mushroom cure, burning existential questions, and no one else was picking up their phone because <laughs> I'd thrown my cell phone away in the woods. There was a landline. I was staying at a very remote house in Martha's Vineyard. There was a landline, but in my drug-addled state, I couldn't remember any phone numbers other than my childhood home phone number, which I called. Thankfully, no one answered. <laughs> I, no, uh, no longer, no longer where your family lived. No longer where my family lived. So I called <laughs> that. 
uh, I called 411. Are you old enough to remember 411, Jordan? Yeah, yeah, that's the information. information. It was the, yeah. right. So that was the number you'd call to ask, hey, what's the number for whatever? Uh, and I forgot about that. That didn't work. I got it. And then I called zero, the old classic operator number. Mm-hmm. That didn't work either. So the only other number I could remember was 911. And they did pick up the phone and there is a transcript. And the first thing I say after they ask me what my emergency is, is I asked the 911 operator if I asked her if she was God. <laughs> no way. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, so yeah. <laughs> and then she you asked me what my direct, ad <laughs> directly out of the psychedelic <laughs> cliche. It's pretty, it's pretty embarrassing. <laughs> it does make for good entertainment with the mushroom cure, but pretty. She's like, oh man, no, she didn't know I was on mushrooms. Uh, eventually, it did emerge. So then she asked me what my address was. I had enough presence of mind that I didn't disclose that, but I was calling from a landline, and they traced the call. Uh huh. So, uh, but and then we've gotten God a little far up. afield. And then, and then God, sh- well, no, it wasn't the operator. Then a bunch of paramedics and a, and a lot of cops showed up. And yeah, that, I'll leave it at that. The, the rest if you, it will, is recounted in, yeah. in full detail in the mushroom cure. But suffice to say, <laughs> I will say this detail. So it was communicated to the paramedics that, that, I, that it was a mushroom overdose. And they assumed that meant like I'd just pick something toxic in the woods. They didn't realize uh-huh. that meant the cops somehow knew where they figured it out quickly. Anyway, it became clear to everyone when I answered the door <laughs> that I was, uh, I was tripping balls to use the, uh, <laughs> the uh, scientific term. So, <laughs> but yeah, no, I can imagine though a psychiatric emergency room where you're dealing with maybe not yeah. that particular, uh, that particular theological. <laughs> 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 emergency but people just really in uh heavily altered states i mean you, you know, see yeah you see it all and uh the in terms of the breadth the the spectrum of like profundity of you know presenting thoughts and complaints and you can see it all in the same person within five minutes someone i had a patient who was wheeled in on a stretcher and one minute one minute um you know saying some profound like theological insights about the nature of the universe and oneness and connectedness and then she started singing very loudly at the top of her lungs if i were a rich man from fiddler on the roof to me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, seemingly seemingly without connection to any any other aspect of the conversation <laughs> Well, maybe she was saying that Judaism is the is the true religion. Perhaps. Yes. Perhaps. <laughs> or the pursuit of wealth, the same shameless pursuit of wealth. Yeah, maybe she, it, it might have been a commentary on the the heedless materialism of our culture. <laughs> right. I actually I in 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 the ambulance ride to that emergency room, I started dancing. <laughs> <laughs> like lying you. down. I was in the gurney. Yeah. I was in the gurney. I wasn't fully restrained. I was partially restrained. Yeah. Um, you know, I never, I never got violent. Though I did get violent with one of my psychiatric ER visits that was, you know, non-drug related. Yeah. When I was just kind of losing my shit. Not violent and lashing out with anyone. I tried to leave and they didn't want me to leave. They, and so, uh, and did you get medication? Did you get forced yeah, to take Yeah, they, 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 they injected me with something. <laughs> yeah. They stuck me with something. Yeah. And that's... You know, I do that a lot, and it's it's um, among the more ethically complicated parts of the job because, you know, 
putting a needle into someone and giving them medications that alter their consciousness without their consent is is pretty heavy yeah and a lot of you know some of the time people don't mind and it's clear that it's needed now but some of the time people do mind and it's a really a tough judgment call about like am i am i doing this to ensure this person's safety right now um or or can can I skip this step and try to manage them in a different way? But then you get into all sorts of stuff with the nurses and uh, you have to manage the other patients and their reactions to this patient who just came in talking about. Oh, right. Yeah. So it's, a, it's yeah, I mean, we can get more into it. It's a complicated thing. Yeah. Managing and I'm also a crazy I'm, place. Right. And there's also, you know, you have limited resources just in terms of your own time. And I'd imagine that has to, you know, Again, you look at the Zendo project, which I, I, I volunteered for at, I guess, the last Burning Man, which was a year and a half ago. And, and there, the idea is you have a high ratio, you have a lot of people there who are available to sit with folks. Yeah. And, but I imagine in the psychiatric ER, you know, you're sometimes overwhelmed. And it may be that, yeah, if you had the luxury of sitting with this person and holding their hand for two hours, maybe you wouldn't need to inject them with something, but that's just, that's not the reality. Yeah, it it is absolutely not the reality. Um, for so many reasons. It's also COVID. And so people oh, come yeah. in without having gotten <laughs> a COVID test. And we test them when they come in, hopefully, if they let us. Um, but it, it it's also incumbent upon the staff to not spend excess time face-to-face with somebody who might then go on to test positive for COVID. So it's... it's I. I recommend not being brought there right now. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I recommend staying away. Reschedule your acute emergency (laughs) psychiatric ER visits till till the the storm has passed. It would be really interesting, though, to try. Don't question the nature of reality for the next few months, basically. (laughs) Yeah, that's far down that rabbit hole. I uh, yeah, I don't has. I think it hasn't. It hasn't felt like such a time for questioning the fabric of reality and in some ways obviously it has i mean clearly on the national stage uh as one example and probably personally in people's lives reality is being questioned like it never has before and i've you know we've never seen such disparate takes on what is actually happening and what is reality but i have i have found the last number of months in the in slugging through the drudgery of covid that i'm i'm not in such an expansive state right now i'm kind of focused on the material aspects of just like food clothing shelter sleep that sort of thing yeah i i hadn't thought about it but i think that's true of me as well and yeah maybe it's because it seems like just speculating here but obviously i'm speculating i don't have any concrete answers but when when things seem relatively stable it's kind of maybe that encourages more of this sort of uh existential speculation and exploration whereas it feels like everything is so unstable and changing so rapidly particularly on the national stage i mean we should say this is what a week before biden's inauguration uh a week after the the storming of the capitol where things seem so generally unpredictable. It's yeah. kind of like just just ho- holding on for dear life and seeing where the ride goes. Yeah. 
to but i mean also i was just gonna say also though i as i'm saying that i'm like that makes it seem like my existence is largely focused on i mean so much of my existence is focused on my own struggles and my own triumphs and my own you know the the news in in adamville rather than the, the larger news but there too it just yeah maybe it because it is such an odd period and i have to use the word odd because at times it's not necessarily bad a lot of the times but it it, it is i'm continually struck by just how odd everything feels right now yeah yeah tell me more about what's going on in adamville yeah and we can but for, well so we haven't we haven't recorded one of these i think it's been since couple months august yeah no. it's been a long no October. well but we didn't re- i think we've chosen not to release that one right? oh yeah right right cancel yeah. that scratch yeah that, that one record. yeah it we, was too uh, it was too good it was too good it was too good no it was it. you know it felt like i was getting too much into the weeds on a particular decision yeah. with decision ocd and frankly i thought you did some really great not therapy but i felt like yeah i don't know how much maybe maybe we should put it out but i'm not sure how Frankly, you know, this is always, this is the challenge with this project that I find especially challenging is it's trying to navigate this balance between doing, you know, having, having genuine, open, free conversations the way we do when you and I are just talking on the phone with the knowledge that this is being recorded and it is going to be broadcast to the world, even if only a very, 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 very small subset of the world actually listens to it. Hey, so triple triple digits, man. Triple digits, that's right. But no, so it's this, you know, on one hand, there's this desire to, and this awareness of, oh, is this entertaining? Is this engaging? And yeah, and I guess my feeling was that one was was perhaps not not that entertaining or engaging. So yeah. yeah, I think the last one we put out was probably from August. And well, first I want to say a few things that we're that we've resolved regarding not therapy. Yeah. Um one is we're gonna be doing these more regularly. Uh we're aiming for weekly. Two is less Adam, more Jordan. Mm-hmm. Because the the framework from the beginning and the way you described the podcast is you doing not therapy on me. But I think one of the things that makes our offline conversation so rewarding is that it's it's a friendship. It's a mutual exchange. Yeah. You're telling me what's going on in your life and you're willing to do this on the podcast and you have a lot of things going on that that I want to hear about and I think our listeners, however many they are, will also want to hear about. So with all of those shifts in mind, yeah, I do feel like I should probably get people caught up because it has been so long. And the last one we released was I had just received this email from Clara saying that she wanted to end the relationship. Yeah. And I was feeling remarkably, to me, remarkably good about that, calm, at peace with it, feeling like, yeah, it's probably the right thing. And so, yeah, the quick catch up was suffice to say that that feeling of peace and calm uh, did did not persist unbroken. (laughs) I so Clara and I did have a conversation, you know, maybe a week after that email. And it was just it was great or rectangles, you know, what we call them because there's our video calls. So it's when rectangle Clara and rectangle Adam meet up. And, you know, for the entire relationship, we were always 
careful not to do too much rectangling because we want to experience each other in the flesh, but this was not possible because I'm now back on the East Coast where I still am and she's still in California. And the dominant feeling for me on this rectangle with Clara was just, oh, it was just joyous just to see her. Mm-hmm. And it was like a really pleasant, enjoyable conversation. We talked for about two and a half hours. We didn't really get into the details on the relationship because it was kind of like right off the bat, I was like, yeah, I agree. This doesn't feel like it's, it's working. And so it was, a lot of it was just catching up with this person. I, I missed cause I hadn't seen her at that point in, in, you know, almost a month and I care deeply for, and she was smiling and I was smiling and then at the very end of the conversation, it kind of came together. She had dropped a few, I wouldn't even say there were hints. She had been pretty clear about it, but I, it hadn't clicked for me that in her mind, this termination, that sounds brutal, this, but that's what it is. This end of our relationship wasn't like, okay, you know, we're going to separate, but you know, we'll still, you know, probably be back in touch in a few months and we'll see what happens. This was like, no, a complete, um, complete cutting off of all ties indefinitely. Yeah. It was more like, yeah, you know, maybe we'll run into each other on the street in a few years and we'll yeah. see what happens. But it wasn't like, oh yeah, let's, we'll check back in in three or four months, which is what I'd been thinking. And so this kind of clicked for me at the very end of the call and we got off the phone. And I was like, whoa, wait a second. That's, that, that's not what I had in mind. And so I emailed her. And we had another call and in, in before that second call, I kind of came, I started feeling like, yeah, why does it have to be this hard break? Like ultimately, (laughs) excuse me, ultimately it was sort of the relationship. Why did our relationship end? I mean, there were so many possible reasons. You know, we tried to do something. The metaphor that I came up with is so initially, I won't get into all of the the backstory, but her and I, you know, we met actually just almost exactly a year ago. She was visiting New York. We had this long distance relationship for a couple of months. She came and visited me once and we were really excited to be, and I was scheduled to be doing shows in San Francisco where she lives starting in mid-March. And we were really excited to just kind of date and live in the same city and not have to have this long distance thing, then the pandemic hit. And the question was, should I still come out? Because if I'm going to come out, I'm going to be coming out just to quarantine with her. And she was a firm, yes, I, I want to do this. But it was obviously a drastic acceleration of what would have been the ordinary trajectory of this relationship. So effectively, I was living with this woman who I really barely knew in a lot of ways and not even living the way you'd ordinarily live with someone where you have your own outside lives, but you're you know sharing a bed and a space with each other, but 24 seven with each other. So that's one reason why clearly that that was going to be a challenge. It was an open relationship, which wasn't a challenge when, when we were initially quarantining, but she had a pre-existing lover who, as things started relaxing with the lockdown and she started seeing this person, I don't know if that inherently would have been a problem if under ordinary circumstances, I probably also would have been seeing other people. But the fact that she had someone else in her life who was very significant and I didn't, I think, introduced an imbalance that made things challenging. There was an age difference that made things. There were all these factors that I think did not set us up for success. Mm-hmm. And so my feeling when 
she wanted to end things was like, yeah, this wasn't, this didn't work under these extreme circumstances, but I don't think we can extrapolate from that, that this, why would we think that this couldn't work under more ordinary circumstances? Yeah. And for that matter, why can't even now, why couldn't we have a relationship that's not living with each other 24 seven under quarantine, but yeah, you know, we can see each other more casually. Mm -hmm. And so that's where, but between my first and second sort of breakup call with her, that's where I was at is like, yeah, this is, and I talked to you a few times about this and it was kind of the metaphor, right? I was going to mention that I came up with is it was sort of like when I initially, when we'd met and I was going to be going out to San Francisco to do shows and live under ordinary times, it was like, oh, we were really looking forward to, to running a 5k together. Mm -hmm. And then we got to the starting line and they're like, oh no, it's not a 5k. It's an ultra marathon. The conditions are going to be so much more challenging. And her and I were like, well, we really wanted to run the, a race together. So let's do the ultra marathon. Yeah. It didn't work out. We couldn't complete the ultra marathon, but why can't we go back and try to run the 5k now? If that makes sense. Yeah, that does make sense. And I think that also, I, I remember when we were talking about it at the time, I was, I recall I was on board with that metaphor, but I, I don't think it's realistic. I don't think that m metaphor m remains logically coherent because you can't, cause because you, you can't you go run back. Yeah. You can't go, you're sore. <laughs> Right, you're right. too you're sore. Exhausted, you're sweating. <laughs> if halfway through the ultra marathon you you bomb out, and someone's like, "Oh, the five k actually is about to start." <laughs> no, it's that too, race we, already. Yeah, I've she saw me. <laughs> she saw me like shit. Shit, my racing Vomiting shorts in the and <laughs> dribble down <laughs> my leg. Right. It's too late. <laughs> What's done is done. And I, to be fair, and I made early on when we were contemplating whether to. To, to run this ultra marathon, to quarantine together. And she's kind of like, her her view was sort of like, well, you know, we wanted to see each other. Why not, why not do this anyway? But I was clear, like, yeah, you can't turn back the clock. Like we're going to see things in each other that we can't unsee. And I think you're absolutely right. That is, that is ultimately what happened. And yeah. you, and you, uh, you, you shared that view with me. And I still, with the second conversation, put forth my view like yeah why can't we try a more casual relationship now and and she was not on board with that and she also said a few things that yeah made me realize i don't know raised more questions than they answered for me hmm. one thing she said that i was struck by was how it really was challenging for her my ambivalence about the relationship because I didn't perceive myself. Well, certainly I had some ambivalence, but I, I felt like I hadn't really expressed that ambivalence much. Mm -hmm. And moreover, my sense was that she just always seemed to me like such a solid, stable person that it felt like to the extent that I did have ambivalence, have anxiety, things like that, it didn't really affect her. But it emerged in this conversation that it did seem to affect her deeply, which came back to this this thing that I'd been feeling, I think, throughout the relationship, which is this sense that in some way I didn't really know her. Mm. She didn't really allow herself to be fully vulnerable, it, which on the surface doesn't make a lot of, when I say that, it that doesn't seem consistent with what actually happened because she is such a, she, she was, she's generally a very present person 
like even to the point she's never on her phone. Like mm -hmm. never. I don't think there was one time when we were together, even if there was like downtime or at serious, if she's with you, she's with you. Mm -hmm. You know, she's not someone who seems to hide. But I think, yeah, I think looking back, I think, I think she did hold back a lot of what she was mm -hmm. going through and a lot of what she was experiencing. And I think I don't, I don't really know a lot of what she was going through or experiencing during this relationship. And we could get into more detail, but I, yeah, I think suffice to say that she did not want to continue. She wanted to take, she wanted to end things completely. And that was hard for me, but really for a few days, I really felt like this deep sort of mourning. Mm -hmm. But I, I went into it. I really experienced it. I did a lot of meditation, just really tuning into the sadness. I cried a bunch. And then within a few days, it just passed. And I felt really, really free. And then I went through a period about a week or two later where I started, my mind started throwing this idea at me that, oh, you know what? Uh, we could have had this great relationship, but I was too ambivalent, too unsure. And I ruined the relationship and it would have been this incredible, perfect relationship. And you disabused me of that notion. You and I had a really helpful conversation. And... Yeah, now it's been, what, four or five months? Um, and I don't think about her that much, which is puzzling to me sometimes. Mm -hmm. I do think about her sometimes, and I miss her. But I feel like it's for the best. I don't know. I just, you know, let's say she had said, yeah, let's, let's, let's try to run the 5K now. I mean, the relationship was clearly, it was confusing to me in many ways, which gave us fodder for all these podcast episodes, whether or not they're entertaining, who knows, but there was always, well, you learned a it, lot about yourself through the, I learned, I learned a tremendous amount about myself. The relationship was this, you know, it was this great gymnasium. I feel like it, yeah. it, it enabled a, a tremendous amount of personal growth that wouldn't have otherwise happened. So I have no mm -hmm. regrets. But I do feel like I haven't been trying to figure out, I, I don't understand quite, I don't understand her. I don't really understand the relationship. I, and I don't have to understand it. There's really nothing to understand at this point. Yeah. What, I, what I do feel no ambivalence about is the fact that us having this potentially permanent break, but certainly a clean, complete break is, is the right move. I think anything else would just be, would just give my mind more, 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 you know, fodder to spin around and try to figure out where ultimately it just, it didn't work. It didn't work under these extreme circumstances where it almost certainly couldn't have worked. Could it have worked under more ordinary circumstances? Who knows? Yeah. Who well, knows? I feel like it's definitely, it's, it's indicative of growth in you, the, the ability to not try to understand it to not try to figure it out, to not try, because there were moments after you split up with her when you were in more of a phase of questing after like, you know, like a football coach lining up the X's and lines and stuff on a field and be like, oh, but then she, but then she said this and if only I had, if only I had lateraled instead of. <laughs> well, you had a great, you had a great line to me where you said like, I don't think it's helpful to litigate the relationship. <laughs> Not and not litigate meaning like I was acute, but like kind of trying to really go in and break down like, well, the reason this happened was because this happened. And if instead we did it this way, then it could have been this way. This yeah. this hyper analysis. Yeah. Which yeah, which is a form of problem solving. And I think you pointed out 
correctly was a way of me trying to avoid the loss. Yeah. Both first in the real world, like, well, if I can figure this out, then I can save the relationship and I don't have to feel the loss. And then kind of post facto, well, if I can fit you, the relationship is over, but if I can somehow figure it out, that's going to make things better. Or there'll be some sort of redeeming value there. Cause at least I would have learned something, but and yeah. I did learn a lot from the relationship, but yeah, it's kind of like in my body, in my heart, I know this is the, the best outcome. Mm-hmm. Um, my mind can't quite make heads or tails of it, why it had to be this way and why it turned out this way. And if it could have been different or if we should have done things differently, but yeah, there's this holistic sense that I have that almost like, of course, of, of course, you know, of, of course this, it, it didn't work out again. The circumstances were going to be so uniquely challenging mm-hmm. And not just the circumstances of the quarantine, but that combined with the fact that it had been so long since I'd been in that, since I'd had that degree of vulnerability in a relationship and I'd cared that much in a relationship, which triggered a lot of insecurity in me. There were, you know, there were probably literally a dozen different things working against this relationship from the beginning. And many of them were dependent on the specific context of me being yeah. quarantined with a woman who I didn't really know, but some of them were, um, more general things. I think I've said this to you before. I feel the way this relationship went down is sort of the way I always want my relationships to wind up where it ends for sort of structural reasons. Like both parties have opened up their hearts to the other and accepted the other but it ends because of some some fundamental incompatibility structural reason like someone like the pandemic uh one of you took a job in dallas someone's like crushing student debt was a no-go for the other person like in my mind those have always felt like reasons for relationships to fail but i feel like my relationships always are very good uh there there's no real reason for it to end other than that i can't like accept the relationship and open my heart to it and stop nitpicking at at my at at my little doubts and and doing my little fault finding obsessive thing that we've talked about before and so i i'm like uh impressed with you in this relationship for the fact that you fully opened your heart to her and then it, it didn't work out for X, Y, and Z reason. Yeah. And this was, I mean, we've recorded this in detail on past episodes, so I won't get into too much here, but it really was a conscious choice. You know, the first time I met her when she was visiting New York and we had these, this torrid four day affair, there was no choice. There was no, you know, I was falling for her. There was no doubt. There was no hesitation. But the first time when she came back and visited New York, the the doubts came in pretty strongly and I, I talked about this before but there was this her second morning there i was i was i do my morning ritual of meditation followed by prayer and i had the thought that oh what what is my cho- what is my prayer my prayer is to be willing to open my heart even with these doubts mm-hmm. not to get rid of the doubts i mean i'd love it if they go away but 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 when I pray, I try to pray for things that are theoretically within my control, but that I can't do. I don't seem able or willing to do on my own. And I realized, yeah, that's, I want to open my heart 
with these doubts. I want to say yes to this, even with this part of my brain being like, oh yeah, but she's this, or she's not that, or she's too much of this, or she's not enough of that. And, and I say that prayer was answered. It was answered yeah. actually that, that morning, the, yeah. the rest of that visit back in New York, back in February was, was, um, I was able to open my heart and then it was a continual recommitting to that aim for myself, often in prayer to, yeah. to say yes to this and to say yes to her with those doubts. And I do feel like I succeeded. You said fully. I mean, I don't know if I'd say fully there were, yeah, there that's were, a, that's, that's but to a degree much. that I, to a degree that I certainly had not in, in, you know, in over a decade yeah. and, and also fully isn't always warranted. You know, there, there's, there's nothing that says that, oh, the healthy right choice is to open up completely. Mm -hmm. There can be, I think, a healthy degree of holding back or holding something in reserve as you get to know someone. Yeah. And, and you've also been helpful, especially when, when I went through that phase immediately after the breakup where I was like, oh man, I screwed it up. I should have done this. I shouldn't have where, you know, I, I shouldn't have had so much ambivalence. And, and one thing you said that really set me straight was, I think you phrased it more eloquently and with more words, but the gist of it was I had good reason to have some ambivalence. Mm hmm that it wasn't, uh, you know, that there were, there were reasons to hold back. There were reasons to have some fear. There were reasons to be uncertain as to how deep this relationship could go and how much I wanted to open up. But what I will say is, yeah, I didn't hold back. I don't think for what I would call superficial or OCD-esque re perfectionistic reasons. I didn't yeah. hold back because, oh, her left eyebrow is slightly higher than her right, which it isn't. Yeah. I'm using that as an example, but you know, some perceived minute physical flaw or, oh, we don't quite share the exact sense of humor. Or she doesn't really like the music I like, or she doesn't, you know, those yeah. sort of things that in the past I would be with a woman and she would, something like that would come up in the course of her interaction. And I would feel this, uh, this like this heavy hit, like, oh man, this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And I did feel that with Clara at times, though less and less as the relationship went on. But when I'd feel it, I would just kind of be like, all right, well, that's, that's what my mind is doing. Do I still want to open my heart and say yes? I would check in. Yep, I do. Okay. That's mm -hmm. what I'm going to do. And this conversation, you know, this topic that we've talked about on the podcast before and then that we've talked about off the recording several times in the last couple months has been super helpful for me as the tables have been turned and now you know kind of in my life since we last recorded i have now found myself in a relationship uh, that's what that's what happens when you get a covid vaccine you just post what, <laughs> you post that as your tinder profile pic and <laughs> they just come swarming <laughs> Exactly. Exactly. No, but this, <laughs> I and so yeah. Let's let's uh, let's let's flip the script a little bit. Let's talk flip about what's it. going on with you. Um. Yeah. I mean, I have found myself in a relationship now for about four months, and it's developed pretty fast. Certainly, some aspect of that being this Corona effect of mm. when you find yourself with someone. Uh, kind of naturally you're spending a lot more time with them than you otherwise would be outside of the pandemic. We also live not that close to each other. So when we see each other, it's for very intensive periods of time, sort of similar to what you were having with Clara. And 
It's been great. I mean, it's the it's by far the most profound connection to come into my life in you know in the last five years. Um, wow, it's, it's very it's very exciting. It's very promising. And as I was kind of starting to hint at before, there aren't really any um, there aren't really any like obvious. Uh, structural barriers to the relationship unfolding. Um, there's no, there's no mismatched timeline. That's often been one that's gotten in the way for me in relationships in the past. Sort of mismatched timelines of uh, this person is going to want to settle down and have a family before I do. Something like that. That's that's not given our age difference and just where I am in my life right now. That's not really such a thing anymore. We're very compatible and we get along and have similar visions for how to live life. It's abundantly clear to me that the main roadblock that I have to whatever fully saying yes is this tendency to, to obsessively find fault and find things to doubt. And it's not a new thing. It's been every time I've been in a serious or semi-serious or frankly even gone on more than one date with someone in the past, this has presented itself. Um, yeah, and it's just, I don't, I, I'll kind of pause before elaborating more because it's just a big topic in my life. Uh, I hesitate to take too much uh, to pathologize myself too much because I've done that mm-hmm. in the past in a in, in a relationship where I was like, I just thought I've, there was something wrong with me for not being able to say yes, and it was entirely my fault, and there, uh, there was something wrong with me, and I needed, I just needed more therapy, etc. Well, and this is this is what happened in that brief period after things ended with Clara, where I went into this kind of self-flagellation of, oh, why did I have ambivalence? She's awesome. She was perfect. She was, you know, this, it's this is a problem with me that's kept me alone. It'll always keep me alone in a problem I need to fix on my own. Totally. Or through therapy, yeah. Totally. And that's not, yeah, that's not helpful. That's not helpful because there are obviously every, every, one is allowed to stay in or not stay in a relationship for whatever reason they want. And that doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. And yet it is, it is for, I think this is the first time I've ever felt like I, and you really helped me flip this and kind of see this clearly. Like, I want this to work. Like I, I like this. This is a good thing. Um, I don't, I want to I want to be able to say yes to this. Like I want to be able to accept these I want to be able to accept this person in this relationship. If I could push a button to do that, I would. Um yeah. But it's an addiction. Yeah. It's an addiction to doubt. It's an addiction to ambivalence. Or I I look at it for myself as the addiction is sort of the flip side of that. It's the addiction to certainty. Yeah. And to, I want to know that this is the, 
that, you know, that this is the perfect person for me, that I'm leaving nothing on the table, that there are no better opportunities, that I'm not, not only that I'm, because often it's future-based, right? It's like, well, I'm happy with this person in this moment, but, you know, how do I know I'm going to be happy with them in the future given X, given that their left eyebrow is too high or given that they don't always get my jokes or given that we don't share the same taste and whatever. Yeah. It's looking for that reassurance and that certainty. Yeah. Yeah. And there's just, yeah, we could talk about this because there's so many different aspects to the doubt and, and flavors of the doubt. There's physical stuff, which we've talked about some, but yeah, then there's that, that brand of doubt that you bring up. Like we don't share an interest in this. We don't, uh, I don't always think her jokes are funny. She doesn't always think my jokes are funny. And that is, that's a question that I haven't wrestled with in a while because I've been single for a long time, which is like, what role does a partner need to play? How, how much of your life does a partner need to fit into? Um, what roles do they need to fill? And that's a, I think a lot of people, a lot of men, a lot of immature men like us struggle with that is like, um, this kind of fantasy that, a. a a partner is going to be like mother, best friend, sex goddess, uh, intellectual, equal, muse, muse, um, <laughs> utterly like soft caretake. Like, yeah, like but fierce and fearless. And <laughs> <laughs> but I don't, yeah. I don't know if you were, if you were tongue in cheek when you said immature. Um, I don't. Not not that I would necessarily push back on the immature label in all contexts for myself, but I I think I think it's it it's it transcends that. I think this idea of what we're talking about is this idea of perfect romantic love, which is so prevalent in our society now and is a relatively new idea. Yeah, this idea that this person is going to to fill all you know all of your needs all the time without exception. Yeah, yeah, to- yeah. It is that, so the soulmate, so your other half. Yeah. <laughs> whereas the, you know, whereas a few generations ago it was like, oh yeah, you know what? She, uh, her dad has a lot of cows. I have, <laughs> I have some pasture. I have some grazing land. We were made for each other. Yeah. No, and it's <laughs> and it's funny to reflect on how ubiquitous the messaging is. Uh, yeah, in our culture and in the media, you and I were talking about this. Like, recently how this tendency to be watching a show or something and comparing yourself and like projecting yourself into the relationships that you see in the show and, and comparing yourself unfavorably and i did this recently my with girlfriend the- doesn't solve murders <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm I clear. why am i wasting my time with this non-detective <laughs> i did this recently with the the undoing i don't know did you see this no, no. Do you have I, any plan? So, spoil. I'll just do some spoil. You can you can spoil it. I'll I do don't some really. Spoil. <laughs> so it's uh, Hugh Grant and Nicole Kidman, and they are this um, doctor and therapist, like high society New York City couple. And I was watching the show actually with my girlfriend, and I in inside myself I noticed this voicing like God you. Like you don't have as passionate uh, 
you don't have as passionate a romance as they do, and they've been married for years. Like, you don't have as interesting <laughs> as these intellectual connection as these fictional people. And I, I think Reading in a way I, that an entire team of of Ivy League educated writers have written for them to make them as as snappy and engaging as they can every single line. Yeah, our dialogue doesn't compare to that. Our dialogue doesn't compare to that. And I, I pretty much persisted in this fantasy until the last episode when the mystery is solved and it becomes clear that Hugh Grant did in fact savagely murder his mistress with a sculpting mallet <laughs> and <laughs> the evidence and completely sociopathically lie and mislead everyone for the preceding five episodes. And I, th- you know, that played into my, uh, but why, why, that made you feel better because you're like, well, at least I'm not a so like I may not have as interesting conversations, but at least I'm not a sociopathic serial killer. Like it, it took that, it took, or that, just made it clear that it was fantasy. What you were yeah, watching, it took that for me to finally break my addiction. <laughs> oh, it's a TV to, show. To compa- <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, I guess I don't have to be. I guess feel bad. About I'll it. give myself a break for not being as dedicated of a physician and as snappy of a rhetorician as Hugh Grant. Because <laughs> um, at least I haven't murdered any mistresses. <laughs> and this is so. This is this is actually. I mean, to go a little bit off topic. This is hap- This is a phenomenon that I've had happen in in my real life too. I won't go too much into detail although this is all in the public record i had a colleague uh, toward whom this is a couple years ago toward whom i negatively compared myself frequently i thought of him as a more dedicated physician a more uh interesting intellectual person a, a more attained spiritual practitioner who's a big meditator um and that at some point a few years into working together he was arrested on um very serious felony uh child pornography offenses Uh, not not those minor minor misdemeanor child porn (laughs) charges that we you know we all get time to time (laughs) and it was this real i'm sure you know it, it was this real object lesson in that uh, that t- like 12 steps thing. I don't know if they talk about this in the OCD 12 step stuff that you've done, but don't compare your insides to other people's outsides. Yeah. Yeah. No, and it was a real, it was a real zinger of a lesson in that. Not to say, you know, not to say that I think this, this, uh, individuals, um, you know, like potential virtues or qualities as a human being are completely erased by this because he's, he's a complex guy. And I, I do believe that, he was uh at the time a dedicated and effective physician to be sure um that was my experience of him but it was like yeah you don't know what's going on with other people (laughs) so don't yeah so don't waste too much time (laughs) comparing yourself yeah i don't want to go too off topic but man so envy that's a been a big one i mean i think it's been a big one for me lifelong but it's maybe as some of my larger more more um limiting i was gonna say pathologies character defects is the term you would use in a 12-step thing but uh foibles 
foibles have I've gotten relief from them. Yeah, I, I the things think things that don't necessarily cause as much distress and dysfunction are more rising to the surface of my awareness, and I'm trying to address those through prayer and meditation. And envy is a big one. It's mm. a big one. I also think part of it is non-COVID times. I feel you know I derive a sense of satisfaction and self worth from doing what I do, which is performing shows publicly. Yeah. And I derive that sense both in the moment when I'm on stage and hopefully I'm getting the reaction I want, but also from, you know, oh, this is this is my public role in the world. Yeah. And and hopefully people respect me because I care a great deal about that. And this is makes me special. And without having that to kind of this ultimately pretty um ephemeral and not not really substantial platform for my self-esteem without even that i'm finding that the envy is yeah it's it's um it can be painful it can be it can be painful it is painful and and really praying to let that go and i think the way to let that go for me is the same way to let almost everything go which is to be willing to feel the feelings underneath it which are feelings of loss of oh i don't quite have what i want i'm not doing I don't have the success I want right now. I don't have the recognition I want right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, that's a bit of a digression, but point being that, yes, uh, the what's what's feeding that envy ultimately is an idea of what of what someone else's life is like and what they're like yeah. and comparing myself <laughs> and finding it wanting. Yeah. But go go back to, yeah, just, I want to... Yeah, don't give up. Don't lose hope just yet that... I know that I'm sitting here in my new house. I'm gainfully employed, but just I'm. You just got your second shot of the vaccine. I just got my second COVID vaccine, but don't give up. It, don't give up hope that I will be <laughs> arrested on some grotesque, <laughs> some, some grotesque criminal offenses. <laughs> well, you know. You're joking, but there have been moments, just be very vulnerable and open, where I found, you know, as as you and I talk and you have all this excitement about the relationship, there are certainly, there. I, I felt envy towards you, absolutely, where I'm like, ah, oh, man, Jordan does have, seemed, you know, he's working, he has this exciting relationship, and and even though you're someone who, you know, there are, there's no one that you're, you're at the top tier in my life of people who I, I want to do well in life because I love and I care about and I respect and I think you're, you know, an amazing human in in so many ways. So if someone says, do, do you want you to do well? Yes, yes. But even with someone like that, there still is sure. this, there can be this prick of envy of loss where it's like, oh, he's, he has this stuff that I want that I don't have. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's very, uh pervasive but i want to get back to um but yeah so in order to make me feel better let's talk about your doubts over the, let's let's get yeah. into your insides so i'm yeah. not comparing my- <laughs> let's get into my insides yes yeah, so if there's one thing i can promise you it's that they don't match the outsides <laughs> but yeah so we've been talking so it well, is it, what you were yeah. just saying about yeah i mean we're not gonna uh we're not gonna crack this nut all the way today because I there is no end of consternation that comes up for me when I find myself in an intimate relationship. I mean, it is, and I don't. I think that's a, I think that's just kind of a, 
it, it, I mean, even that's mind. a pretty, a pretty gr- extraordinary statement to make. And I appreciate, I just want to appreciate you making that statement. Thank you. That being in an intimate relationship it involves pain for you. Yeah. And I think it does for probably everyone to some degree, but to, to yeah. acknowledge that even in the midst of a relationship where in some ways you're very much in the honeymoon phase, I think I appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you for, thank you for saying Mostly that. because it makes me feel less envious knowing that you're suffering. <laughs> <laughs> I t- no, but it, it, again, I don't know what it's like for other people, but I have always tended to think that relationships relative to other things in my life come with much more difficulty for me than they do for other people. I mean, I'll, I, I often joke with my colleagues at work, you know, someone, someone will be brought in, did an ambulance, um, clearly clearly someone with great great difficulty in their life you know they're um intoxicated on uh methamphetamine and like swinging like shouting racial slurs and swinging at the emts um, <laughs> <laughs> like their house has just been foreclosed on or something uh they lit their car on fire <laughs> in a parking lot they're like in the tier came. four for the covid vaccine but yeah. a loser <laughs> but like they're married <laughs> and, I'll, and i'll and i'll make a quick remark to my colleagues like God, I like I haven't been able to figure that out in this person. That's, it's it's always, you know, there are various things. Figuring out how to have meaningful and stable employment for me is not a great challenge in my life. My work is very hard and causes me lots of difficulty, but it's not hasn't caused me all that much. Um, yeah, I don't struggle that much to figure out how to support myself meaningfully. Relationship to me feels like um that's kind of my karmic homework in this lifetime (laughs) i love that phrase i feel like that yeah that's kind of what i was that's a little bit what i was put here for is to is for that to be something that doesn't come easily for me that i that i wrestle with and and that becomes a vehicle for my growth and my awakening um ramdas who you know was never married um, I don't even know if he ever had any serious long-term romantic commitments. Huh, he was, yeah. You know, he was, he was gay and he was, I think he had relationships with men and women, but he was gay and he was in the closet for some, some period of his early life. But I think he was out most of his life. I don't know if he ever had a serious partner. He said in a talk once, if you can ch- choose any yoga other than the yoga of relationship i recommend you do that because <laughs> it's yeah, the hardest one I heard, right <laughs> it's not and he talks about i know that talk and he talks about it's the hardest one because it's the hardest one to stay present with yeah to stay present during because there's such deep evolutionary drives there to reproduce effectively yeah. and to relate yeah that you have to that that and all of those drives are going to try to make you unconscious try to kind of catch you up in the flow uh-huh. So oh, to really it. stay pleasant, it's kind of like, well, you've used this phrase. It's kind of like you're really, really cooking with gas there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I think the thing the thing that feels most promising and exciting to me about this new relationship is that my girlfriend is also very conscious in her in her commitment to open communication and the use of relationship as a vehicle for 
um, mm. shall we say spiritual development for lack of a better word. Um, she can tolerate the, the, you know, like Sturm and Drang of, of a, of a relationship and she can go to very sticky places without, um, and, and experience, she can teach me a lot about how to experience like big overwhelming emotions in a relationship without letting things uh, overtake you and, and letting things fall apart. So yeah, maybe we'll stop there for this week and just kind of, um, get everyone excited to hear about, um, how fucked up I am over this whole thing <laughs> in episodes to come. No, true. It's, it's a beautiful relationship and I'm, I'm very grateful for it, but it's yeah. Again, like I can be, I can be on hour 14 of a 16 hour shift on my third straight day in the psychiatric emergency room with things falling apart and patients testing positive for COVID and people screaming at me and it can, and I can get a text um, I can get a text to a, like a little tidbit about her day that I don't find interesting that I didn't really want to know about. And in that moment, that feels like the biggest problem in my life. <laughs> and it's a problem, not because she, you need to respond, not because she's demanding anything of you, but just because it's, it's a sign that it sets off that, that, uh, we're not compatible. Uh, that, yeah. We're not compatible. Yeah, why would oh, you, God, why would you think I didn't want to, I don't care. I didn't, I don't care about that. Why did she think I would care about that? She must not know me. We're not, we don't share, like, we don't think the same way. We don't share interests. This is not, I, I feel so unseen and alone. Like, uh, and that feels worse. I, obviously, my anxiety about that in that moment is probably in large part a displacement of where my uh, anxiety should more properly and profitably be focused, which is on the, on the screaming, the screaming. By displacement, though, you mean that your anxiety truly is on the screaming meth meth head who. But I'm yeah. People, but I'm. But you're, you're focusing. Oh, but you go on. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm. That's kind of what I'm thinking there. But it. Yeah, I don't know. But that's I, I mean, an intellectualization, I, you know. Yeah, I don't want to over because in that moment, like that feels like a way bigger. I know how to deal with the person, right? Exactly. Screaming, it's at a. Me. It's yeah, my job. To, it's hard, but and it's also, my job. Yeah, and the and the stakes are a lot less high there. I mean, they're yeah. you know not to be brutal about it, but you you know you care a lot less. It's not brutal. It's, uh, about what happens with this this person, you know, however much this 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 person and this patient however much they're struggling and suffering, you know, I'm sure sometimes this stuff probably does stay with you after your shifts and you, and sure. you bring it home with you. But, but by and large, that's something that you're going to let go of relatively quickly. Whereas this relationship, I mean, the stakes couldn't be higher. As you said, this is your karmic homework. And for yeah. everyone, I mean, my, my last not, not therapist, my, my last paid therapist, <laughs> a guy named Mike Feminella out of New York, who, really just wonderful human, wonderful therapist. But you know, he would, he would always say, you know, relationships and he, that, that is the biggest, uh, I don't know exactly what word he used, but trigger. This is the biggest, this is the, this is the highest stakes thing he'd say for most people, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you look at work, you look at uh, hobbies, you look at all this stuff and it all pales in comparison to relationship. And part of that is, 
you know, the way it's treated in society is this all important thing. But I think part of it comes back to what Ram Das would say, which is there's just so much. You're, you're not just talking about society and programming. You're talking about billions of years of evolution saying this is the prerogative is to yeah. find this person to procreate with. Yeah. And so a threat to that in the form of, oh, maybe we're not that compatible. Yeah. I don't know if that's displacement or just in some way a, a very understandable feeling of, oh God, this is a big problem and I have to, I have to fix this problem, whether it's breaking up with this person or whatever it is. Yeah. I appreciate you normalizing that for me. And yeah, that is the impulse that comes up is I need to, I feel, I feel some sort of imbalance. I don't have certainty. I want certainty right now, which Mm, you know means deciding that the relationship doesn't work. But I've to your kind of to what you were just saying about those billions of years of evolutionary pressure that made me think of a a switch I've been able to flip a few times in this early relationship period that's felt like a like a step for me like a like a trail marker of growth where I've had this thought that this this kind of automatic thought of find a doubt decide the relationship is fatally flawed because whatever you got a unfunny meme texted to you and i've i've been able to a couple times to see that happen and think to myself you know what like if you abandon this you know where you're gonna be like you're gonna be alone again and looking for a relationship because i feel like i'm past the part of my life now where i i don't feel like i need to be alone really Mm -hmm. anymore i think there was a time a few years ago where it was like oh you're just not ready and i'm not saying i don't want to have kids in the anytime too soon but it's pretty abundantly clear to me now that if i become single i'm immediately gonna start looking for you want to be in a relationship i want to be in a relationship i want the it's clear to me that that's this is the next step for me that's where yeah that's my karmic homework and so it's like i i i've got enough sense now to be pretty confident that this is going to keep happening that i'm the next person yeah. i find is they're also going to text me something that i uh don't think is funny at some point or they won't everything they text you will be perfect and engaging but they will have they'll differ from you on some important value or right. they'll be you know the the sexual chemistry won't quite be right yeah, there'll be yeah. there'll be something this synth- yeah. yeah and this is what i feel i'm i'm really curious how this resonates with you and maybe we'll save it to dive into till next time but i kind of feel cursed and i think it's a jewish thing i think it's a jewish mother thing i kind of feel cursed um with with the following curse i think that the only women with whom i feel that je ne sais quoi of comfort and quote at homeness the women who just kind of feel like home to me are always gonna uh, annoy me and push my buttons in some very specific Hmm. ways to drive me kind of crazy and women that i've dated who yeah as you were saying maybe maybe don't uh push these specific buttons sometimes it's just just kind of it it feels there's not that um that there's not this little 
chemistry, this little frisson of like, oh, you like there's not this closeness. I feel a little distant from them. Like we're kind of from different planets. Uh, we're kind of different species. Is it a mom button? Is that is that what this yeah, is? Yeah, it must be in I, some way be. But it's uh, I I I want to say a little bit about I don't so I don't have a lot of because I, I don't have a lot of data to draw on in my own life because I there have been so few relationships in recent years where I've really had any skin in the game. Yeah, and also most women, all women who I've had any sort of significant relationships with have well none of them have been Jewish, not one. Um, most of them have been quite, if, I, if I think about it in the context of what you're saying, I would say in recent relationships, Clara, we talked about Beth, we talked about, uh, Maddie in recent years, those have been women where maybe there hasn't been a great deal of comfort. There's been excitement and there's been, I mean, there certainly were, there, there were times of, of great comfort and shelter in Clara, but but yeah, I haven't. I'm that with with Clara, I wasn't dealing with that particular form of doubt of of her pushing those kind of buttons, where it's like a little mm -hmm. annoying, a little too familiar. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I don't know how much I, I have I have to say about that, but I think what you're driving at which i can which makes sense to me is this maybe it's this sort of trade-off where the people who you feel the most comfortable with you feel sort of stable and grounded there's this degree of familiarity where you can feel sometimes too familiar this annoyance and the reason i can relate to that is because as not to brag i'm not getting the covid vaccine but i got a lot going for me too which is that i'm a middle-aged man living in my parents attic right now and i've been <laughs> at my parents house for five months and this weekend, my parents attic one, of my parents attic, of course, being the name of the bar and nightclub you own in Miami. <laughs> well, yeah, all right, I was going to mention this, but I I love talking about living in my parents' attic. But the truth is, the, my parents' attic is actually the master suite of this house. <laughs> <laughs> you kicked them out. <laughs> I well, my mom had hip replacement surgery, so it's an extra flight of stairs. So I moved up here, and now they're like, just stay here because it also has its own office, and I can work better here. It actually works out fine, but I'm not living. I'm not living in, in miserable digs up here. It's a it's a but, California king size bed, so there's room in there with both really, of your parents. You just slide them over a little bit. Just yeah, just so they've taken the guests. Or do you sleep in between suite. them? Do you sleep between them, or uh, do you have your yeah, own side of the bed? I, 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 you know, I, I like to be spooned by both of them. That, that <laughs> Though I will say in recent years when I visited my parents, I've developed, we've developed this thing where sometimes they'll watch movies in bed and I'll watch movies in bed with them. And there is something nice about that. I mean, it's a big bed. We're not like touching, but, um, but there is something, something, this sort of swaddling type thing that I've, I've, I've appreciated in recent years when I'm lying between my parents in bed and we're all watching a movie together. Having said that, this is I have this bed to myself and I have this whole suite to myself, but the point I was going to make is certainly one of the things I have been working with and working through is this reflexive annoyance I can feel at my parents, in particular my mother, which is totally unwarranted. There's no reason for it, but there's just this sort of, this bristling I sometimes yeah. feel when, when she walks in the room. So... I feel like that some somehow maybe connects a little bit to what you're describing. Yeah. 
you ought to give it a shot dating someone who in certain uh in certain more ephemeral ways and then in some very concrete demographic ways bears a striking resemblance to your yeah. mother because that's what Should i choose because that's Should what i choose. tend to do i mean i won't i won't yeah i won't go into too much detail uh for the sake of preserving anonymity but my current girlfriend my last girlfriend who's my only serious relationship to this point and my mother all uh share some surface level characteristics at least that let's just say do not require sigmund freud to get (laughs) (laughs) to get to the bottom of uh it's it's comical it's funny yeah you gotta give it a shot yeah yeah well i i do want to should we i i one of my one of my friends had some feedback about how sometimes we'll say all right we're wrapping it up and then we'll talk for another 20 minutes so should we wrap this one up i'm I'm really enjoying i that is good that is something we do (laughs) we also tend to which we've done in this episode say maybe we'll save this for the next episode and then talk about that thing for 20 minutes yeah 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 no i think this i think this is a good a good point but i want to say i'm really enjoying this to me feels more like you're in my regular conversations which is what i want this podcast to be yeah i think what we've determined is that stripping away what what we want to do and what the people want is for us to take another step forward in stripping away any artifice of this podcast being anything other than us just talking for fun and deigning and deigning to assume that people might want to listen to that but the for fun is the key part because i think often the podcast have not because it's fun talking to you we enjoy talking to each other and i think sometimes the podcasts have not fully captured that because i've been too concerned about is this entertaining and also frankly at times there have been there's been an imperative on my part of, oh shit, there's something, there's a problem with my relationship with Clara. I need to figure this out. Yeah. And if that comes up, probably not with Clara in the future, but in whatever relationships, that's fine. But uh, but yeah, no, I, I really yeah, enjoyed talking course. to you today. We're gonna, we're gonna, not therapy is now not mutual therapy. <laughs> uh, and we are we are gonna start bringing on some guests. That's our intention. Yeah. And we've got some yeah, lined for up. Sure. Um, some friends some luminaries in the field of psychedelic thought and practice some therapists who can tell us um how therapy is actually supposed to work (laughs) (laughs) what we're doing wrong (laughs) what we're doing wrong spoiler alert not in a podcast form (laughs) not in a podcast form um yeah no i'm excited for uh to see where this project goes because i've certainly at at several points in time more than several expressed you know doubt and is this worth doing but i uh, what always comes back to is i just really enjoy talking to jordan and i think there's something here that can maybe benefit some other people so we'll find out to be great catching up you too man this has been great all right yeah well i look forward to uh to the next one uh within a week me too (laughs) bye man All right, have a good one. Bye, too.